Okay. Well, am I on? So welcome back from your break. Um, and uh, <laughs> just to give a little context also, um, we do this Advent reading. It was so wonderful to have uh, Dan and Lawan and their kids with us. And, and we do that it's because we're a multi-generational and also a multi-ethnic church. And also it's a recognition of the fact that we're part of a worldwide church. And so all of the world together, everywhere, is celebrating, churches everywhere are celebrating Advent. So it's wonderful to bring in the multiple languages to just show the diversity that we have here and also the diversity of the, of the church. So just to give you a little context for that. Well, it's good to see you all. December is here. Now, I had something fun happen this last week. I had my teeth cleaned. Anybody love to go get your teeth cleaned? Is, is that a... Enjoyable experience. So, okay, James loves it. Excellent. There's one of you. Um, anyone as a dentist or a hygienist, you guys do a great job. We know, I know it's tough because no one comes in excited about this thing going on, right? So I go in, and it turns out I have a very kind of a nice chatty hygienist. And so you know how that works. You're sitting in the chair, and they're starting to like, you know, they're, she's like going to put the suction tube on my mouth, and she's chatting, you know, and ask me a question. And she asked me this question, are you ready for the holidays? Are you ready for the holidays? Now, that kind of seems to be the conversational question these days, doesn't it? Do you kind of get that asked a lot? Are you ready for the holidays? And it made me think, am I ready for the holidays? Now, I actually found myself struggling to answer that question, partly because she put the suction tube in my mouth, so that also makes it a little hard, right? You know that thing where they're chatting, and you're like, I don't really want to talk, because, you know, this isn't it. But I also realized that that question feels a little ominous, doesn't it? Are you ready for the holidays? Kind of like if she'd asked me, are you ready for your teeth cleaning? Yes, depending on how much pain you inflict on me. Almost like when you're in school, are you ready for the final exam? Maybe. Depends on how hard it's going to be. Depends on how many questions they're going to ask, right? I wanted to get my cleaning over with, so I was kind of mumbled something about, you know, having time with family. And then I said, what about you? And she, in a kind of a chatty way, she's like, oh, it's going to be really busy. And I've got this trip to Las Vegas and other things going on. It's going to be amazingly busy, but I'm going to get through it. I'm going to get through it. Kind of that chipper, you know, I'm going to get through it. So December is upon us and Christmas is coming And how many of you might be feeling a little bit like that hygienist? There's so much to do. There's there's gifts to buy and plans to make and social events to attend and family stuff to try to deal with and and manage. And there's projects you've got to finish. And maybe you're in school and you're trying to finish things up. And it's going to be busy and it's going to be stressful. And maybe part of you is feeling like, I'm just trying to figure out how to get through it. I'm trying to just get through this. And if you're feeling that way, you're not alone. Others feel that same way. Susan last week mentioned in a recent survey nearly 88% of adults called the holiday season the most stressful time of the year. The question that I think we have as people in this church together is, can anything be done to reclaim this Christmas season that is often filled with stress and anxiety and activity rather than the peace, love, joy, and hope that we often want and wish for. Now, as you're probably aware, and we just talked about this, and we're celebrating this, this is the beginning of Advent. Today is the first Sunday of Advent, and Advent is really a four-week preparation on the Christian calendar as we prepare 
ourselves for this amazing story of the fact that God comes to earth as a baby, as a human being. You know, it's interesting, too, that this also traditionally in the church was a time of fasting, actually. So Advent was actually a time of fasting, preparing for Christmas. The actual Christmas celebration is actually Christmas and 12 days afterwards, all the way up to the Feast of Epiphany. That's actually how it was often celebrated. And it's an amazing chance for us as Christians to celebrate the story of Emmanuel, this idea of God with us. And in addition to that, there's this second layer to Advent that's also really interesting, and this idea that Jesus came as a baby, as a human, and he will come again. And so Advent also invites us to rejoice in the fact that this Jesus will come back again. That is what this celebration is all about. And yet, it appears that something maybe more sinister seems to have taken over this time that is about remembrance and celebration, something that I think ends up leading us many times to be more about getting through it than necessarily participating or enjoying it or experiencing it. Last week, Susan talked a bit about what some of these forces might be, and she called that the Christmas season industrial complex. There is a complex, a group of things that is going on right now to try to get us to do and think about other things that we have to do. And for that reason, we as a church are going to join in together with other churches in what we're calling the Advent Conspiracy. And it's a chance to try to kind of reclaim the simplicity and the meaning and the generosity of the Christmas season while actively resisting the forces that I think try to draw us towards stress and consumerism and try to give us a different agenda. I'm going to sh- let's share this short video of what this Advent conspiracy is about. So you saw there, it said, worship fully, spend less, give more, love all. You guys remember last week we did hand motions to that, didn't we? It was worship fully, spend less, give more, I'm looking at, and then love all. Oh, love all, sorry, love all. <laughs> I should have practiced. You guys can practice next week. Um, and today we're going to talk a bit more about what worship fully really means as part of the antidote to what we can call this kind of holiday stress disease. But I want to pray for us first as we do that. Father, we do invite you here in your presence. We know that you are here, and we pray that as we speak about this idea of what it means to worship fully, that you would draw us into that. Open our minds and our hearts to what it means in this time of Advent to truly be able to turn our eyes to you in the midst of all the noise and the busyness around us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the traditional themes of Advent are peace, love, hope, and joy. Peace, love, hope, and joy. And I would guess that if you asked 100 random people, 99 would say, those are really cool things. I'd like more of that. Those are great values, right? What I think is going on, though, is people all around us are striving for this promise of peace, love, hope, and joy, but in the wrong ways. You know, we've somehow been deceived into this idea that if we get the right gift or if we, you know, find the perfect present for someone else or if somehow we're going to host the perfect family gathering or somehow the perfect friend gathering and everybody's smiling, you know, the kind of things the ad show, everybody's smiling and having so much fun and, or if you make sure all the decorations are perfect or somehow you've planned and made sure you had the perfect vacation all set up for right after Christmas, that somehow these mysterious things that are part of this thing that often gets talked about as the spirit of Christmas, somehow these things will bring this peace and love and hope 
and joy into our lives. The message around us seems to be saying, let's spread ourselves as thinly as possible to get as much access as we can to acquire and absorb as much of this Christmas spirit as possible so that we can somehow get a bit of this peace and love and hope and joy in our lives. But the problem, and we all probably know this, the problem with this kind of spirit of Christmas and the way things work is that that gift that you get doesn't really last, and it doesn't always satisfy. Or maybe the gift that you gave someone else wasn't quite the perfect thing. Or maybe the family gathering ended up in some fighting. Or the friend that you thought was your friend is ghosting you. Or the vacation flight that you planned got canceled. And suddenly the peace and the love and the hope and the joy turns into anxiety and distance and discouragement and a little cynicism. But the true message I think that God wants to call us to in this season of Advent is we don't need to go broader, we need to go deeper into the true worship of the one whom Christmas is about, and that's Jesus. We don't need to go broader, we need to go deeper. You know, I, I, get, I bet, and this is true of me too, as many of you probably are like, I, you know, Ron, we get that. I mean, we're here at church. We understand that Christmas is about Jesus. And so I go to church on Christmas Eve, and I try to make sure I send some time to read the Christmas story, and, you know, would do that myself or my family, Right? But the question for us is, what about between now and that Christmas Eve service? What happens between now and the Christmas Eve service? I have actually in my own life too many memories of getting to the Christmas Eve service and being like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, this is a, okay, yes, this is about Jesus. This is about the Christmas story. And the question that we need to consider is, how do we worship Jesus in the midst of all of this chaos and stress and busyness? in this time of year. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Christians in Rome, wrote this about their response to the incredible news that an infinite God came into the world in the form of a man so that they could be set free from their sins. And he says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed By the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul here is talking about our response to God's mercy being true and proper worship, is what he says. And if we think about what worship is, worship actually comes from these old English words meaning worth-ship. And it means giving adoration or describing worth to someone. In this case of God, it means giving reverence and obedience and adoration to him for who he is and what he's done. And I think we often think of worship as means we go to church, we go to the worship service, right? And we worship, we sing songs, and that is true. But the truth that we see here in this passage is that Paul is saying it's not just on a a once-a-week thing, but it's offering our bodies and our minds, our complete selves, as an act of worship to God. Why do we do that? Why should we do that? Well, here's the reality, folks. We're going to worship something. And when you worship God, you're actually reorienting yourself towards the one who really, truly can give you that peace, love, hope, and joy that you're looking for. You're turning your attention to the one who truly loves you rather than anyone or anything else that's all around you that's offering that and clamoring it. And sometimes with a loud voice, you're intentionally turning yourself towards the one who's going to give you that peace, love, 
hope and joy that you're really looking for. And that's why worship is and always is called to be a full-time thing that we do, not just once a week, but every day. Now, when I think about worship fully, that has a question for me. Have you ever given yourself fully to something? You thought about that? I actually struggle a bit with that. I tend to be someone who likes to keep my options open, and I tend to be a little suspicious of things where it's like, well, if I'm fully in, then I get, you know, what happens if something's weird about it or something? And so I can tend to pull back a little bit. I can hold back at times. Now, a few months ago, I had a little test in this, which was interesting. A group of men of our church went to a place called iFly. Anybody been to this thing called iFly? It's a skydiving experience, but it's an indoor skydiving experience. So it's for those who don't want to actually jump out of a plane, but it's a similar kind of experience. Now, I was a little reticent, partly because it's not cheap, and I'm, you know, that was that. And also, it was, uh, you know, I was thinking maybe it's going to be a little hokey, right? But I thought, well, I want to go with the guys, and that'll be a fun thing to do. But something became very clear to me when I got into this. You can't half do it, right? Like, there's this thing where there's this big area where you're going to go in, and there's going to be all this air blowing up on you, and they do this training, and you actually have to stand there, and you lean in. But that's not it, right? You can't just do that. If you just do that, that's called windburn. Like you're just kind of getting... You have to kind of kick your legs out and go for it and completely just get yourself free. This is a story of Zach. Zach Walker. There's Zach in the back. Zach, does this guy look like he's having fun? You know Zach will go all in. The season of Advent is inviting us to worship fully in sort of a similar way. Like, what's challenging for us is there's all things around us that say, worship partially, but there's this other stuff you should be thinking about too. Worship these other things as well. Worship God halfway. But it doesn't work. Just like an iFly, it doesn't work to, wor- to worship halfway. It actually gets you windburn. There's really something about what it means to worship fully. And I think that's really because... In a way, it's almost dangerous, just in the same way these guys are really clear. Like, you need to go all in. Don't do this halfway, or you're going to get rammed against the wall. That's true in our spiritual lives. If we don't fully give ourselves to worshiping God, we try to balance it or keep a leg down below, it actually can be damaging to our spiritual lives. If we try to worship God and then other things, it doesn't work. And so the question we have to ask ourselves, and I'm asking myself even as I enter into this Advent season, is what does that mean to worship fully then? What does that look like in my life? And what I want to do is I want to go back to the Christmas story, and I want to look at three kind of sets of characters in the Christmas story and look at how they chose to worship God and then see what we can learn from that. Those examples, I think, as we put them together can help give us a better framework or maybe a better idea of what it means to worship fully. And if, we, if I think about it, let's just think about this for a second. We often romanticize the Christmas story. We love to have the little crush thing on our mantle or whatever, and it's, oh, that's so neat, how, you know, how comfortable. But think about the Christmas story. There's a ton of chaos and distraction that's going on at the time that this is happening. In fact, it's so much so that many people actually miss the Christmas story at that time. Their lives were busy, and there were lots of problems going on, and they didn't catch what was going on. But for those whom God invited to participate in to that Christmas story, and those who chose to do that, they experienced a deeper dramatic worship of God. The first person in our story is Mary. You guys know about Mary, probably. Mary was, when she was kind of entered into this Christmas story, she was an average, probably poor 
teenager living in a backwater part of Israel. She wasn't famous. She wasn't highly educated. She was engaged to be married. And my sense is Mary was probably like, okay, I'm going to get married, and this is the way my life is going to be. It's going to be like this. It's going to be like the, all the other girls that I know that w- have gotten married and live, and they have kids, and that's how it is, right? That's probably what she was expecting in her life. And then one day an angel shows up and tells her this amazing thing. You're going to get pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and you're going to give birth to the Son of God who's going to come and save the people from their sins. Okay, so that's a big deal in and of itself. Even more of a big deal, she's not married, and she lives in a culture in which if you actually have a child outside of marriage, it's possible you could actually be killed for that because that could be one of the reactions that happens. So not only does this disrupt her life, this threatens her life, potentially. So Mary, of course, has questions. But in the midst of all this and in the end of this conversation that she has with the angel, here's what happens for Mary. She says in Luke 1, 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. That is a pretty amazing response for anyone. And think about this as a maybe a 14-year-old girl who's just been told that her whole life that she may have planned out and thought was going to be a certain way is completely going to be turned around and disrupted and potentially threatened in many ways. And yet she turns around and says, okay, let it be your way. Let your will be done. And then a little bit later, she goes and visits her cousin Elizabeth, and she even goes further than that. Not only does she say, okay, all right, all right. She actually then, as she's talking about this story to Elizabeth, she actually then turns that into not only acceptance, but an act of praise to God. This is a famous song that's known as the Magnificat, and she starts this song with this, and Mary says this. It says, and Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Mary continues on. This Magnificat is longer, and I encourage you to read it. She continues on with further praise to God. But what we see here is this. Mary is choosing to trust and acknowledge the grace, and the hope that she has in God, even though what's going on in her life has completely upended probably the plans that she had for herself. And it's really complicated her life in many ways. So I think as we look at this story, the lesson that we can take away from this from Mary is this. Even in the midst of uncertainty, we can choose to worship God. Even in the midst of uncertainty, we can choose to worship God. Some of you here may have things that are uncertain in your life right now. Maybe your job is uncertain. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you're not sure what's going to happen with that. Maybe you've received shocking news in your life. Maybe there's some health thing going on. Maybe there's health things with yourself or your family member or a friend. Maybe you've got bills you're not sure how you're going to pay in a month. Mary's example of this is this, that even in the unknown, even in the things that she's not sure exactly how it's going to play out, we can choose to worship God, to acknowledge that he is good, and that he can work out things good for good for those who love him. And that he is the one that brings love and salvation. And we can, like her, also say, Lord, let your will be done in our lives. That doesn't mean you have to understand it. It doesn't mean you have to even feel great about it. But we can choose to worship God because we know that he's bigger than the problems that we're trying to solve ourselves. That might mean for you, I don't know, I... <laughs> I don't know if I can confess this or not. When I drive around, I don't really play worship songs. Sorry, it's just not my thing, right? 
But there's a thing where sometimes I realize God is calling me to worship him, to actually maybe put on a worship song to do that as a part of, the, uh, as a, part of a way of me choosing to worship, especially when I'm extra stressed. That could be something that he's calling you to do in this time of this season. Or maybe you're not a singer, but you could write a poem or you can journal a bit. And as you're walking through your anxieties and the things that are stressing you out, you can choose to say, Lord, it is in you that I trust. And remind yourself of the things that are true about who he is. I encourage you to do that in this season in a more sort of focused way if you can do that. Okay, let me move to the second group that's in our story. The second group are the shepherds. Shepherds in Israel were on the low, you know, the bottom of the economic scale and social scale, actually, as well. They had hard jobs. They were working outdoors all the time. It was difficult for them. And they were often working day and night, so life wasn't easy. In the Christmas story, the shepherds are just doing their jobs one night. They're watching the sheep. That's what they do. This is how it works. And suddenly, their lives are disrupted. They're not probably expecting anything special. And then God shows up. In Luke 2, 8 through 14, it says this, There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. My guess is this... The shepherds weren't kind of thinking, I wonder if something really cool is going to happen tonight, right? They were just watching the sheep, and then this amazing thing happens. They're told this amazing story of great joy. And let's look at how they respond, going on further in Luke 2. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about his child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. I think as you look at this story, I see something kind of interesting. You know, a lot of times when an angel shows up, maybe he'll give some directions, but these angels just gave them some news, but no one told them to go to Bethlehem to go look for the baby. They could have been like, oh, that's right, great. But they decide on their own to drop everything and their responsibilities and the tasks that they have in front of them to go see and worship at this baby Jesus, at this foot of this king. They took a step of faith, and in that step of faith, they experienced more of this joy of what it means to know the living Son of God. And then I think it's also interesting, you notice what happens? They can't keep quiet about it. They actually go out and tell everybody else what's going on. It says they spread the word. And I think the lesson for here is this. Even in the midst of our busyness, we can choose to worship God. I don't know how the shepherds worked this out. I don't know what they did with the sheep. We just know that they left their tasks and responsibilities and they went to go worship Jesus. (laughs) For some of us, that means we might need to make some choices about what we're going to leave and set aside so that we can make some room to choose to worship. Now, we've given you, and there's a paper here that some of you can find, but also there should be a slide with a QR code that we have a number of different Advent 
things going on. And, and one of these is an Advent reading list. So you see that in the back here. You can also access it with the, when we're able to put the QR code up. And you can get this Advent reading list. And there's also a devotional book to go along with that. This might take 10 to 15 to 20 minutes a day, depending. What task or responsibility might you be willing to give up to be able to put this into your life? I love to sit in the morning, and I often sit and, you know, grab my tea, and I read the paper, and I'm like thinking, okay, I'm going to add this, and I'm going to actually put this first to do this every day. It's my prayer that as we step out in faith in these little things, that God will come and show us more of who he is so that we can experience this story in a new way. And, you know, the other second lesson that I get as I look at the shepherd story is this one, that worship is what propels us to tell others the good news about Jesus. I think sometimes we're like, oh, I don't know how to do this. And I think what God says is, as you worship me, and as you understand the glory that comes with that, then it's not, it's going to be a kind of a natural progression to go tell other people about this. So my prayer is that as we worship him more fully, we just, it just kind of pours out of us. It just kind of bubbles out of us as we just kind of share what God is doing in our lives, or maybe the ways that we're trusting him and the things that we don't know or understand. And so I want to invite you as well in this time of Advent to make space for others in your life. Maybe others who are a little bit on the outside or who don't understand the story and the good news about Jesus. Look for ways to connect with them in some way, shape, or form and to bless them in some way, shape, or form. And ask God for the opportunity to share anything about your experience and hope for Christmas. The last of our story are the wise men. They're known as the Magi. And this part of the story is actually a little bit later in the story that we were just reading, and it's actually what the Feast of Epiphany actually represents. So on January 6th, that feast is the representation of when the Magi or the wise men might have shown up. And what is, I think, interesting is these, these men are from a faraway land. We don't know a ton about them. They're definitely astrologers because that's how they know about Jesus. But what we do know is they're outsiders in the story. They're outsiders in this story. But they come to worship Jesus. And that's a great answer to story, the story that God invites outsiders into his story. And when they do this, they're coming to worship the King Jesus. But here's what happens for them. They encounter a different king. On their way to worship Jesus, they encounter King Herod. King Herod is not a very nice king. He's the king that's over Israel at that time. And he's kind of a brutal guy. And let's see what happens. So it says, they say, we see the Magi encountering King Herod, and look what happens. Matthew 2, 7 through 8. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. Herod is a crafty king, and he doesn't intend to bow to Jesus. He intends to kill Jesus because he sees that Jesus is a threat. Now, when the Magi go and they find Jesus, they worship him, and we also see that they give Jesus gifts. Now, I thought it was interesting. There's no evidence in the Scripture that they actually gave gifts to Herod. You know, Magi shook his hand. How you doing, buddy? They go give their gifts to Jesus. They know who they're coming to truly worship. They honor him as the true king. But then God, after that, warns them, you know what, don't go back to Herod. He's not, no, don't do that. And this is what's interesting then. At this point in time, the, the wise men had to make a choice. They had to decide who they're going to obey. Which king are they going to obey? They had to choose between two different kingdoms. 
The kingdom of the power at that time and the authority at that time, or the kingdom of this little baby who kind of could be confusing. Maybe, I don't know what they were expecting, but they show up and here's a baby. And they had to choose between these two kingdoms. And I think that's true for us as well. We have to choose often between two kingdoms, whether we worship the God King, who in many ways can be more confusing to us. Like when we look at this baby and we think, that's a king? How is that kingdom going to work? Or we look at Herod and we're like, that's a king. I see it. He's got all the soldiers and all that other stuff. We have that as well. Sometimes the worshiping of God is complicated and confusing, and all around us is the world saying, look what you should worship. Look at the power and the authority and the consumerism and all that stuff that we're call- I'm calling you to worship. And so the lesson is this. In the midst of two kingdoms, we can choose to worship God. You know, it's funny. Just at the beginning of the service, my phone buzzed, and it popped up with a Costco thing saying, new deals for today. <laughs> right? And there's a little bit like, oh, new deals for today. And what, what I felt like I remember was saying, you know what? I'm going to hear a lot of that over the next three, three weeks or four weeks. And what I should remember to do is go, the best deal is Jesus. Amen. That is the best deal. And that's what I should remember when I'm being offered a new deal or a good deal or a better deal. I know the good deal. It's Jesus. And that could be simply what worship means. When you're being offered the other thing that may look more real to you, how do you worship Jesus in the midst of that. To help us, so, by the way, a little side thing about our lives. So, I don't know if you know this, but Amanda actually reads all my sermons. She always gives me feedback and input, so every sermon I do, she gives me some feedback. She was going through this, and she actually had some thoughts on a personal level about what this all meant. So I'm going to ask her to come up now and share a bit more about that. I actually feel like you said it so well. I hope I... Anyway, this is, this is um, my personal thoughts about how, what's stopping me from worshiping fully. Um, this fall, I've been doing the Search for Significance group, which um, really helps um, identify emotions. First of all, start with identifying emotions and seeing what's at the root of some of those negative emotions and seeing what lies of Satan... Um, I'm believing that are affecting how I respond to the world and instead turning toward God's truth. And the lie for me often during December leading up to Christmas is, you know, like Ron was saying, if every everyone's not perfectly happy, if if the gifts aren't perfectly pleasing, if people are fighting, if the meal doesn't turn out right, et cetera, et cetera, then I can't experience peace. I can't experience joy. I don't deserve it. I didn't do it right. And maybe people are mad at me. Um, whereas God's truth is that I am so loved. I am so forgiven. I am so accepted by him. And that's where my worth comes from. And as just, you know, reading through the sermon and hearing it again, you know, Mary, the shepherds, and the wise men, they were more focused on the truth about God than on the opinions or behavior of others. Um, you know, the community, the the evil king, the, all the powerful people. And I think that they could worship fully because they rejected the lie that they had to have that approval of of the powers around them in order to rejoice and find that peace. And it just made me think, how can I 
worship fully if I'm afraid all the time? If I'm, I mean, stress is a word for afraid, right? I'm afraid people won't be happy. I'm afraid it won't work out right. I'm afraid I won't have time for finishing my work and time to do whatever. And um, so when I think about Advent, I want to live this Advent in the truth that I am forgiven, accepted, and loved by God. I'm going to continue to care about giving good gifts and preparing festive meals, but I'm not going to continue to believe the lie that this is where I get my worth and my value. When I find myself being stressed, afraid, I'm going to try to take the time to ask, really ask, what am I afraid of? And then to ask God to remind me of his truth. I think that's the path toward worshiping fully. I hope that's the path. (laughs) Um, So let me just ask you, who are you afraid of disappointing this season? What are you afraid you won't get done? And why are you afraid of that? What makes you afraid? What expectation do you have that if it's unmet might make you feel like Christmas is ruined? What lie might you be believing that makes you afraid? Let's bring these things to God and ask him to show us his truth so we can worship fully.